Our scripture reading for this morning comes from the book of James. It's the fourth chapter, the first ten verses. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he calls to live in us envies intensely? But he gives us more than grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. So far the reading of God's word. Some of you that are my age, or at least about my age, may remember an old cartoon called Pogo. And there was a very famous Pogo cartoon that became a classic. In that cartoon, Pogo said, we have met the enemy and he is us. I think that's very true. In fact, the more you mature, the more you realize that you actually have an eye problem. The more you grow and develop and mature, the more you realize that the middle letter in the word sin is I. In fact, the middle letter in the word pride is also I. Today we're talking about being set free from the source of our stress, and I want to suggest to you today that stress can be considered a sin and that pride is the source of all of your stress. Now, the Bible talks about two different kinds of pride. I think most of us would understand this. There's good pride, there's bad pride. Good pride is satisfaction in a job well done. It's joy in seeing other people succeed. Good pride is taking pride in your family. It's taking pride in your wife or husband when your kids. It's taking pride in your friends. It's taking pride in your church. That's a good kind of pride because it's based on seeing what God is doing in and through somebody else's life. But then there's the not-so-good side of pride. That's that stubborn pride that refuses to say you're wrong, even though everybody knows you're wrong. It's the pride that holds on to grudges. It's pride that causes us to gossip. It's pride that causes all kinds of conflict. It's conceit, it's egotism, it's arrogance, it's damaging, and it's destructive. Now, maybe you've never stopped to think how destructive pride can actually be in a person's life. But I want to suggest to you this morning that pride is the root or the source of every sin in your life. The worst sin is not murder. The worst sin is not adultery. It's pride. It's pride because pride says, I want to be God. I want to choose my own way. I want to do my own thing. I don't need anybody else involved in my life. 
I want you to think for a moment, how does pride damage your life? I'm going to give you like four different, four different ways. Here's the very first thing. Pride causes conflict. In Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10, it says, Pride only breeds quarrels. Only by pride comes contention. Now, friends, is the truth is, friends, that if you're having some conflict today, let's say you've got, maybe you've got marital conflict today. Maybe you've got family conflict or some other form of relational conflict. Whatever it is, I can save you a whole lot of counseling. Are you ready? Build a bridge and get over it already. That's the way to get past it. I'm going to put it a little bit simpler for some of you. Grow up. Grow up. See, at the root of all of your marriage problems, your family problems, is selfishness. It's self-centeredness. You want what you want when you want it, and your spouse wants what she wants when she wants it, and guess what? You've got heads butting. That's the problem. That's why some of you need to build a bridge and get over it. Some of you need to, plain simple, just grow up. Pride causes conflict because of, of so many different implications of it. I mean, I suggest to you that, root, that pride may be the root of all sins. Pride is what causes us to put pressure on other people. Pride is what causes us to hold grudges against somebody else. Pride is what causes you to keep score. Pride is what causes us to gossip. It, it makes us rude. It makes us inconsiderate. Pride makes us judgmental. That's why I love the little statement of Jesus in Matthew 7, verse 5. He said, take the log out of your own eye, then you'll be able to see to help your neighbor with that little speck of sawdust in his or her eye. You know, what most people don't understand is that's really pretty funny. Now, the reason you don't think of it as particularly funny is because you're not Jewish and you don't understand Jewish humor. But Jewish humor has a lot of exaggerations. In fact, Jesus has come pretty close to being a stand-up comic in the Sermon on the Mount. Let me give you a couple of other examples. He said, you know, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. Or when talking about the Pharisees, what does he say? They're out there worried about straining gnats while they're swallowing camels. So what Jesus does here for us in Matthew 7 is he uses humor to kind of pop our pride. He's saying, before you worry about that speck of sawdust, in somebody else's eye, you might want to take a look at the log jam you've got. See, the number one thing that pride does is it causes us to refuse to admit our mistakes. I want to tell you today, friends, if you're having conflict with a boyfriend, with a girlfriend, mom or dad, husband or wife, you've got a problem with your kids in any way, the secret of reconciliation is really pretty simple. Swallow your pride. Humble yourself before the Lord. Say, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. There's a second thing that pride causes us to do. Pride prevents personal growth. I think it's a decision all of us need to make. The decision is this. Would you rather look smart or would you rather actually be smart? See, pride is what makes us unteachable. If the only person you're going to ever learn from is you, you're fishing in an awful shallow pond. I remember a couple of years ago when Muhammad Ali, remember him when he was the heavyweight boxing champion of the world, he got on an, on an airplane to go somewhere and the flight attendant came by and said, Mr. Ali, you need to buckle your seatbelt. And Ali said, Superman doesn't need a seatbelt. And the flight attendant said, and yes, and Superman doesn't need an airplane either. 
See, that was pride that led him to do that. Proverbs 11, verse 2 says, Pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. A little bit before that, in chapter 10, verse 17, Anyone willing to be corrected is on the pathway to life, but anyone refusing has lost his chance. Let me ask you, just stop and think for a moment. Are you teachable? See, it's pride that keeps us stuck in a rut. Pride is what keeps us doing the same old thing over and over, expecting different results. Pride is sometimes couched in a church that says, hey, we've always done it this way before. Pride keeps us from getting help in our marriages. Pride keeps us from getting help in our finances. Pride keeps us from, are you ready for this? I preached about this two weeks ago, from finding an accountability partner. Remember? Confess your sins, acknowledge your own sins, confess them to God, find a Christian friend. Pride will keep you from getting help in every area of your life. There's a third problem with pride. It causes anxiety. The greatest source of your stress in your life is probably your own self-preoccupation. See, most of us have our eyes on what? We have our eyes on ourselves. And that makes us nervous, and that makes us worried and anxious. It makes us all stressed out. So when you're always thinking about yourself, how you look, how you appear, how you act, how you sound, how you talk, how you dress, the more you focus on yourself, the more stressed you got, the more anxious you become. Now, I'm going to give you one of life's great stress relievers today. Ready for this? It's not all about you. That works. Get up tomorrow morning, look in the mirror, and say, it's not all about me. And yet, what does our culture do? Our culture teaches us to think about ourselves. Every commercial you see on television says something to the effect, it's all about you. We do it all for you. You can have it your way. You deserve it. You're the best. I'll tell you, friends, if you're always worried about how you look or how you feel or what other people think about you, you will be easy to manipulate. Other people can make you do just about everything. When you worry about the opinions of other people, the expectations other people have of you, or how other people approve of you or disapprove of you, you are easily manipulated. Let me tell you something that many of you know. If you work in an office, this is in every office in America. It's in every classroom in America. It's anywhere where you've got a bunch of people together. There are always people that you could call them, I don't know, kiss-ups, suck-ups, brown-nosers, you call them whatever you want to call them. They will always appeal to your vanity. They will come up to you and they will gossip to you. They will tell you all kinds of wonderful things about you and all sorts of horrible things about other people. But know this also to be true, friends. Anybody who gossips to you is also gossiping about you. You can count on it. And know this as well. Anybody who's gossiping to you is not your friend. Gossip is a sin. Gossip is a character defect. So when you listen to all these kiss-ups, suck-ups, brown noses, whatever you want to call them, who like to tell us how great we are and how bad everybody else is, just know that they're probably telling somebody else the same kinds of things about you. And the Bible says that that causes anxiety, that causes stress. See, when you worry about what other people think about you, it causes you to stop being real. You're not authentic anymore. Instead, you kind of started 
getting involved in this imposter phenomena. You put on a mask and you start faking it. Somewhere I read that pride makes con men of us all. We put on this mask or this image to show people what we think they would like to see when inside we know it's really not us at all. Pride causes conflict, it prevents growth, it produces anxiety. Here's the fourth thing, pride angers God. Pride angers God. I'll put it more blunt, he hates it. God hates pride. Pride is the sin that got Satan thrown out of heaven. Pride can also keep you out of heaven. Pride says, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to run my own life. In fact, I might as well just be God. Now the question is, how do you learn to live a pride-free or at least a reduced pride life? How can you learn to live more humbly? How can you get your stubborn ego out of the way? Well, I'm going to give you five ways. It's not really brain surgery. It's not really rocket science, but you can find it all in the Bible. That's what's so great about this book. It's got an answer for everything. The very first thing I'd do, tell you is this. You just need to admit your sins honestly. That's pretty hard for some people, do you know, to set aside your pride and say, I'm a sinner. But you've got to know a difference between what is a sin and what's not a sin. I heard this story about a teenage brother uh, who said to his older sister, I have to admit to the sin of vanity. And she said, why is that? He said, because every time I look in the mirror, I see this gorgeous hunk of hunk of burning love. And she said, that's not vanity, that's ignorance. <laughs> now, I don't know that you always have to confess ignorance, but you do need to confess your sin. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 28, 13, it says, a man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful, but if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. Now, I don't know about you, but I like second chances. I just came back from the College World Series. Loved it, loved it. been loving it for 20-some years. The nice thing is, it's a double elimination. You get a second chance to come back all the time. I believe in the God of second chances, too. I believe in a God who has given me not only second chances, he gave me third, fourth, fifth, twentieth, thirtieth. And what's that called? That's just simply called grace. God says, I'll give you a second chance. You sinned, you were separated from me, but I can extend grace to you. You get a kind of a do-over, a start again. But if you are full of pride, friends, you don't get a second chance, you get no chance. God says in our text today from James, I give second chances to the humble. But if you're prideful, you're not even going to get that. That means when you pray, you don't pray, Lord, if I've sinned today. And trust me, friends, none of you have to say, if I sin. If you, if you can't think of a sin, come to me after a while. I'll probably suggest a few to you that I think about. But you need to start eliminating prideful life by just admitting your sins openly, honestly. Here's the second step. I want to evaluate my strengths realistically. There's an inspirational message that you've probably heard hundreds of times. In fact, I think I've heard almost every presidential candidate trot this one out. The inspirational message is this. You can be anything you want to be. 
Wrong. <laughs> it's very inspirational, but I don't believe it to be true at all. You cannot become anything you want to be. If you don't have the talent for it, I don't care how much you want, you're not going to be it. You can only be what God shaped you to be. You can only be what God wired you up to be. If he didn't wire you to be that, chances are you're not going to be that. I, mean, I would love to be an NBA basketball player. I'm a little too short, I'm a little too slow, and I'm a little too white. But God wired me up to do some other things. In fact, this is kind of an aside, but I really wish somebody would get a hold of a lot of people who show up on American Idol and on these other reality shows and say, get a grip. I mean, you can't carry a tune in a baggie. I mean, why would you want to go on television and embarrass yourself and publicly humiliate yourself? I mean, Romans 12.3, Romans 12.3 is really good. It says, don't cherish, and this is from the Living Bible, don't cherish exaggerated ideas of yourself and your importance, but try to have a sane estimate, not an insane estimate, a sane estimate of your capabilities. See, pride is always based on a false image of yourself. Humility is based on the honest-to-goodness truth of the situation. Humility is not denying your strengths. Humility is being honest about your weaknesses. You know, you're a whole bundle of strengths and weaknesses. All of us are. I've got some wonderful strengths. I've got some wonderful weaknesses. Guess where I got them? I got them from God, and so did you. That's why we all need to do a little self-evaluation every once in a while. We need to ask ourselves, what am I really good at? What am I not so good at? That's why more of you need to take the next shape class I offer. We already got about 15 or 20 people through that. But to find out about your spiritual gifts and to find out about your heart and, and about the abilities that God has given you and the personality God has given you and, and all of those wonderful experiences, the good, the bad, and the ugly, because that makes you who you are and that makes it easier for you to find a way that you can plug yourself in to God's kingdom. So you can take pride in the things that God gave you. You can say, I'm happy God gave me this ability. I'm happy that I have this skill. I have this interest. That's okay. Galatians 6, verse 4, though, gives us a little bit of advice. In Galatians 6, 4, it says that we should do this, though, without comparing ourselves to somebody else. Now, when does good pride turn into bad pride? It comes the moment you start comparing yourself to somebody else. God has said in the Bible over and over and over again, there's nobody else like you in the whole world. I mean, very literally, when they made you, they broke the mold. Now, I know some of us want to say, oh, thank God for that. But there's never going to be another person exactly like you. God knit you together in your mother's womb. God brought you into this world with your own set of spiritual gifts and passions and abilities and your own personality and your wonderful set of good, bad, and ugly experiences. You are you. Why try to be somebody else? But we all do this. I remember coming out of the seminary where they trained me to be a preacher. I'm not a preacher. I'm a teacher. They trained me to be Ozzy Hoffman. I'm not Ozzy Hoffman. I'm Barry Cole. I got to be the best me I can be. I don't want to go to heaven someday and say, and have God look at me and say, Barry, why were you out trying to imitate everybody else? Why didn't you just be who I created you to be? 
can ask you the same thing too. One day, Derek is going to say, why did you try to be everybody else? You just be the best Derek you can be. That's who I created you to be. Jack, be the best Jack you can be. Joyce, you too. Be who God created you to be. It's really kind of stupid when you think about it to compare yourself with other people. A couple of reasons. One is you're going to find, you're always going to find somebody who's better than you, and that only makes you discouraged. Or you're going to find people that you're actually better than, and that's just going to lead to pride. And what I know is that when you got pride and discouragement working together, it puts you on the bench and takes you right out of the game. So I'm going to admit my sins honestly to God. I mean, after all, God sees them. God knows them. I might as well admit them. You know, I might as well admit my sins to my wife, my shortcomings. She sees them. She knows them. I might as well say that to my kids. I might as well confess them to you. You probably have a vague idea what they might be. It wouldn't hurt you to do that also with a godly accountability partner. I'm going to admit those. I'm going to evaluate my strengths. And number three, I'm going to enjoy my successes gratefully. You know, God does give us a lot of successes, and we ought to just be very grateful that he does that. That's part of humbling yourself before God. You just say, God, thank you that that happened. Now, I always remember of the, great, of the story about the great blue whale. It says that when you get to the top and you're ready to blow, that's when they always harpoon you. It's a good piece of advice to remember. You need to remember, this is something I remember hanging on, I think my grandparents told me this a long time ago. It said, when it comes to your successes and you get too big for your britches, inevitably you will be exposed in the end. And somewhere not long ago, I read that a halo dropped 12 inches becomes a noose. Or, as I saw in the paper this last week about baseball, one minute you're a hero, the next you're a zero. Just enjoy your successes gratefully. I mean, every day I try to remind myself of two pride-busting myths. Pride-busting uh, pride truth. Pride, pride, that's a hard word to say. I should have written it differently. Pride-busting Truth number one is this, everything I have is a gift from God. We can all say that. I mean, my wife is a gift from God. My son and my daughter are gifts from God. My grandson Joshua is a gift from God. In fact, I often think that when we bring little children to the baptismal font, Cindy, I remember baptizing your little one not long ago. But, you know, sometimes I think of, I want to give that child back to you and say, this is God's child. And I'm now giving it back to you and Barry to raise for him. The place I live is a gift from God. My health is a gift from God. The friends I have, the talents I have, this church is a gift from God. I mean, it's all a gift. In fact, I have nothing, absolutely nothing, if it were not for God. That ought to make you humble. You didn't do anything to deserve it, but God just gave it to you. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7 says, What are you so puffed up about? What do you have that God hasn't already given you? I mean, if, if all you have is from God, then why do you act like somehow you accomplished it? There's another pride-busting truth, and it's this. Someday, you're going to have to give an account to God for all this stuff he gave you. I mean, someday God is going to say, Barry, how did you steward your relationship with your wife? What about those children I gave you to raise on my behalf? What about those churches that I privileged you, allowed you to pastor? What did you do with those? 
I think that'll keep you humble as well. Here's another step in this process, and that is to serve other people unselfishly. One nice thing about watching baseball, I'm not your average baseball fan. I watched nine games. I read five books while watching the games. Now, I watch the game. I see where it goes, and then I go right back to my book. I read a couple of sentences. I go back. I look at the game. That's how you read five books, and I read a few magazines. One of the books I read this weekend kind of startled me. It said that in America today, there is an epidemic of depression amongst young adults in America. And part of me says, what do young adults in America have to be depressed about, for heaven's sakes? But they said it's kind of an epidemic amongst our young people today of depression. But he went on and said there is an antidote to that depression. The antidote is called the helper's high. The helper's high. Now, what is the helper's high? It is the endorphin rush you get when you help somebody out. Nancy and I saw a little bit of the flooding in Iowa as we drove north. Places on Interstate 29 where you can't take an exit because the little town, the little village is flooded. I read some articles even this morning yet on CNN on the web, and it talked about some high school students who have set aside their normal plans for the summer to do what? To fill sandbags, to build back the levees. And they're feeling really good about it they're not feeling the least bit discouraged anymore. That's why I want to suggest to all of you, if you've ever been depressed, here's my first piece of advice. Stop having your personal pity party and get your eyes focused on something else. Focus it on maybe some, someone less fortunate you, then start helping them and watch that depression meter just go down. In the book of Philippians, Paul, when he writes to the people there, said, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. A Christ-like attitude. Now, what would Jesus' attitude be? Well, I can think of a couple things. I mean, Jesus... Part of his attitude was, you just need to learn to give your life away. Share it with other people. He would tell you that if you really want to be great in the kingdom of God, do what? Be a servant. Servant to other people. He would tell us that the only way you save your life is to learn to give your life away. He would tell you that happiness comes from humility, and until you learn humility, you're never going to be happy to be a servant. Jesus tells us, I didn't come to this world to be served, but to be a servant to many, to step outside your comfort zone. I know that in my 20-some years of being a pastor, that every once in a while, I get a little bit depressed. I don't know why, but yeah, everybody, all of us get down a little bit from time to time. One of the interesting things I've done when that happens may surprise you. I go visit people in the hospital. I go visit people that are shut-ins. And I go and you just sit and you talk to them and you listen to them and you share a little bit of God's word with them. You find out a little bit about them. You listen to their story. You listen about what God's been doing in their life. And I'll tell you, you, you walk out of there and you just, you don't feel the least bit depressed anymore. In fact, you walk away and you just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you again. There's a last step here, 
and that is to depend on Jesus continually. That's really where the heart of humility comes from, expressing dependence on God. We're not here to have a, a declaration of independence. We're here to have a declaration of dependence. In, in the book of Psalms, back in the uh, 10th Psalm, uh, verse 4, it says, Wicked people are proud. They do not look for God. There is no room for God in their thoughts. See, prideful people, and I can tell you, been there, done that, you don't need God in your life. In contrast, Jesus promises great blessings if we live with humility. I love all the promises in the Bible. They're, they say there's like over 7,000 promises in the Bible. But what I've discovered is that with every promise, there is a premise. I mean, I'll, I'll give you Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, you want, you want your life to be straightened out? Okay, here's the premise. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. In Proverbs 22, verse 4, a great promise. It says, true humility and fear of the Lord. That means respect for the Lord will bring riches, honor, and long life. Now, I could ask you, I mean, how many of you would like riches, honor, and a long life, a full life? I think all of us would say, yeah. Well, the answer is what? Humility and respect or fear of the Lord. To fear and love and trust in the Lord, as we are told. Now, let me say it again. Pride is the sin that got Satan kicked out of heaven. It can keep you out of heaven, too. Some of you that are here today, I have no doubt about this. I, I make no assumptions anymore that everybody who sits in church is saved. I mean, sitting here in this, in this church no more makes you a Christian than sitting at McDonald's makes you a Big Mac. There's more to it than that. Some people who sit in churches Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and that may be some of you, you've heard about Jesus ever since you were a little kid. Mom and Dad drug you to Sunday school. You even went through confirmation, came forward, and had the pastor put his hand on your head and gave you a Bible passage. I don't care what, what have you been here. But something has kept you from stepping across the line to really know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I'll tell you what that something is. It's called pride. Pride has kept some people, and I'm not saying that you have to walk the aisle like a Billy Graham crusade, although I don't know that that's all that bad. That you come because the Holy Spirit has worked in your heart and you say, yes, I need Jesus, not just as my Savior, but as my Lord as well. I want him to run my life. But see, that pride keeps some people from doing it. It may be some of you today. Pride, that kind of pride can keep you out of heaven. I also know that in a group of people this size that some of you are pretty successful people. And you've gotten that way the old-fashioned way. You earned it. But guess what? You can't earn your way into heaven. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It's by grace that you're saved through faith, not of works, so that no man can boast. Can you even begin to imagine what heaven would be like if you could earn your way there? Oh, man, everybody would be standing around bragging. You know, I gave X number of dollars to United Way, or I got here because I, I uh, went to church every Sunday. I'm here because I, I belong to the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. I got here because I was baptized by, by the sainted pastor so-and-so, or I was here because I helped a little old lady across the street. God would look at you and go, Wrong answer. You can't earn 
your way into heaven. You swallow your pride. You humbly submit yourself to God. Remember a simple prayer. I copied it down. I don't even remember where I saw it. But it said, God, I realize I need a Savior. If I didn't need one, you would not have sent Jesus. That's pretty humbling. Don't let your pride keep you out of heaven. I mean, today, the Bible says, maybe the first day of the rest of your life. Now, some of you, too, there's another group of people here. Some of you have been thinking a long time about being more committed to the cause of Christ. You've been thinking about being more sold out, or what used to be called being a Jesus freak. But you've not done that because you're a little bit afraid to move. Now, if I can be blunt with you, and I know I can't, my bluntness says this, stop thinking and start doing. The reason that you're afraid sometimes to take that step out in faith, to be a little stronger witness, a little bit stronger you know, in your involvement in church is because underneath it all, you're insecure and your pride is the evidence of it. Prideful people are scared people. And the only cure for that is the grace of God. See, friends, when I realize that God loves me, when I realize that he loved me and that he created me, when I realize that God will never, ever stop loving me and that I, I can't make him stop loving me, in the security of that love, which came in the form of Jesus on the cross, crucified, dead, and risen again, I don't need to pretend anymore. And in Jesus, I find everything I need in that grace, the goodness of God, to be set free from the source of all of my stress. Let's pray. Gracious Father, all of my life, I've been taught to depend on myself. I realize that a lot of times I've done things I've wanted to do, and I've been my own God. There have been times I didn't want you in my life at all, or or thought I didn't need you much. I'm sorry for that. I join other people today in humbling myself before you and saying that you are God and I am not. You sent Jesus to be my Savior. That means I need one. So I'm asking you today to include me in your family, not by my works or because I deserve it, but just because of your greatness and goodness and love, your grace and your mercy. And today, Father, we all humble ourselves to follow you, to be the person you want us to be. In your precious name, we pray. Amen. On page four of your worship folder, there is an affirmation of faith. And uh, when people affirm their faith, they generally do so on their feet. So please stand. Let's join together in speaking these words. <clears throat> 